0: Welcome to Driving the Future, a show from Capgemini Invent. I'm Greg Nussma. Throughout this series, we're going to be speaking to top minds in the automotive industry, from Capgemini and beyond, to get an inside look at where the sector is headed, how companies can keep up with a rapidly changing industry, and how to shape it for the future. Today's episode is a final part of a trio about the commercial vehicle sector. And to round things off, we're going to be looking at a vital part of any OEM or automotive company's working ecosystem partnerships, and innovation. Partnering with third parties can be a vital resource for companies who have a specific issue to overcome, a problem they can't solve internally. But when is the right time to reach out to other companies or entities? At what stage in a project does it become vital to partner with others? I wanted to find out how automotive companies deal with this problem to ensure that innovation is achieved as efficiently as possible. So I got in touch with one of the senior directors in our automotive team here at Capgemini Invent, Brad Young. As well as working with companies who want to move into net zero mobility, Brad consistently works to find new sources of value for automotive brands to create frictionless enterprises that people love. Working to create partnerships with external clients is at the heart of this. I asked Brad why partnerships are so good at driving innovation, and at what points companies should be looking to reach out to others. So, I mean, to kick things off, can you just Give me your view quickly on, on why is it useful to partner with third-party companies?
1: Well, the most obvious reason to partner with companies is to is to get access to uh, really deep expertise in technology, in process, in uh, in business models, uh, and and really in in program implementation. Um, particularly in the automotive world, there's a number of shaping forces that are really having a big impact on automotives, from electrification, connected vehicles and companies becoming more software-driven, as well as the impact of new types of uh, consumer preferences that are driving the the move towards mobility, for example. This all has quite a disruptive impact on automotive companies, and more and more more they're needing to find uh, partnerships with uh, companies that can bring expertise um, to help them innovate and to speed up their uh, transition towards some of these new products and services and business models.
0: So I'm a company. I don't have the capabilities internally. I've got two options. One is to partner with someone who has those capabilities and has the expertise, and the other is to develop that expertise and those capabilities internally. Uh, when should I be looking to, to develop it internally, and when should I be looking to, to look outside uh, my company for third-party expertise?
1: So um, typically, you wouldn't go straight to a uh, an external company to partner from the very beginning what you might do is first uh, look to build up some internal knowledge of the problem that you're dealing with so you might for example do a small pilot project um, to first understand what is the nature of the problem you're dealing with so for example in the automotive world one of the projects I was previously involved on was uh, around using connected data um, to to drive a better experience in the in the service world um, so to drive a better experience for customers servicing their vehicles um, so that was a project at the time that we actually did internally um, with the team to build up some knowledge of how to do that project what would be the challenges and you know what are the types of skills uh, that would be needed. But that then uh, typically then uh, gives you a better view of then where is the right uh, place to partner with an external company. So you build up that kind of knowledge and that um, that sort of wisdom that's going to make you more knowledgeable about how to partner with, with companies.
0: Okay. Uh, there are lots of different forms that partnerships could take. There could be short-term project-based partnerships or long-term collaborations or, or, or joint ventures even. So can you walk us through the different types of partnerships and the benefits uh, of each one?
1: Sure. So um, typically, um, in the past, um, you know, uh, OEMs, for example, partner with some very uh, well-established companies, particularly in, in the engineering and uh, manufacturing space. Um, so OEMs, for example, um, traditionally may partner with some large suppliers that provide parts and inputs to building a vehicle. Um, that's nothing new. What is new, though, is now that the emergence of partnerships more in the technology and software space, um, particularly because that's a fast-growing area, but it's also not really a traditionally core skill of an automotive manufacturer. Um, So, for example, we've seen new types of partnerships emerging with Apple and Google and Amazon, for example, but also companies like NVIDIA um, who are providing um, really a totally different type of capability uh, in the software space that uh, OEMs don't have. So the the nature of those partnerships is changing, as well as those bigger partnerships. We we also see more individual or tactical partnerships with very niche tech providers. Um, One of my favorite companies is is What3Words, who provide... Um, uh, this really amazing mapping solution, which is a totally different way of uh, thinking about location and mapping, which of course is really relevant for navigation systems in in vehicles. Um, and that's a great example of a really uh, a brilliant niche provider um, who are partnering with the big automotives to to bring a, a better functionality into their systems. So, so there's a real combination of the, the big partnerships that might be longer term partnerships, investment into. Um, systems and platforms and, and new ways of working and, and actually also individual, very niche partnerships that um, are solving a very particular problem as well.
0: So partnerships can clearly offer great results when done right. Creating efficient and innovative models of working with other specialists is why companies even think about pursuing them in the first place. But there's also the potential for them to become difficult. Corralling many different players into one working system poses various challenges so how do you know things are going in the right direction? I went back to Brad to find out. Okay, and how do you measure whether a partnership is working?
1: Well, I think that like any partnership, you have to really uh, be both benefiting from that partnership to be successful. So what you really have to do is establish some Principles of how you want to operate together, um, and essentially some a strategy for that partnership. So, what will you both provide? How will you both benefit? And what are the the ground rules and how you want to operate together? Now, ultimately, of course, that all manifests itself in in contracts. But before you get to that stage, you really need to be at a strategic level working together to understand how you can complement each other. Sometimes partnerships go on for a very long time, and sometimes they're there for a specific period of time to deliver something, and then actually uh, the, the partnership comes to an end and parties go either the ways. But bo- both are fine. Um, in general, um, the key thing, though, is to have, I think, um, a really strong uh, foundation and principles of how you want to work together and how you will benefit each other.
0: Okay. If there are other leaders in, in who are already established uh, and you're looking to compete with them, uh, how can partnerships help?
1: So in the commercial vehicle space, really one of the biggest um, disruptors now is the move towards electric vehicles and companies are really going to have to think about moving the whole commercial vehicle fleet to electric vehicles in the next few years um, and that can bring some great benefits um, uh, and cost savings um, due to the, the lower overall ownership cost of running electric vehicles um, but it comes with some headaches as well um, thinking about charging Um, how do you optimize the charging of your fleet, how do you optimize how you actually run your fleet using connected data, for example, patterns in driving behavior, trying to optimize charging, uh, optimizing uh, route planning and so on. So in that commercial vehicle space, one of the uh, interesting companies that we have a relationship with is called Autonomo. Um, Autonomo are really specialists in centralizing and um, providing standardized access um, to connected vehicle data. And some of the work that we've done recently is to actually uh, look at how we can connect Autonomo with Salesforce, another big partner of ours, uh, because many of our clients already run Salesforce. So um, plugging in that connected vehicle data into their Salesforce system gives them a great way to uh, access that data and bring it into their core processes uh, around fleet management, customer service and so on. Um, And that's a great example of a partnership across several companies to bring a a really relevant solution that's increasingly important for uh, commercial fleets as they transition towards electric.
0: Clearly, partnerships in the commercial vehicle sector can be hugely effective for all parties involved. And it looks like they occur more regularly than one might think. But so far, we've been speaking at a pretty high level. I wanted to open up the hood to have a look at the nuts and bolts of how a partnership like this actually works in reality. I needed a recent case study from inside the industry, one which really focuses on the intricacies of a partnership. So I got in touch with Michael Aubrey, a global program lead and product line manager with Forisha, a French global automotive supplier who are one of the largest international automotive parts manufacturers in the world. Michael recently worked on a fascinating project with us here at Capgemini, a fuel emissions monitoring study in Singapore, whose results prove exactly why partnering with third parties can be so effective. I asked him about his experiences on the project and what they were going to achieve. Uh, I'd like to shift gears a minute and get into the particular project that you did with Capgemini. So if we start at the beginning, what was the challenge that you were facing on this particular project that led you to seek a partner?
2: Um, Actually, this project uh, was a project with the the city of uh, Singapore. When we worked, um, actually, when the, the project was awarded to, to Forestia, uh, we had one year somehow for the phase one, but it means less than six months to deliver the solution. Um, this being said, uh, we had technically no team to develop the solution. We had, so we had a constraint of time, constraint of resources. Of course, budget was involved, so we had a specific budget for this activity. So that gave us directly only one option: is uh, look for help to deliver the project.
0: Okay. And can you give us a little bit of overview as to what the project was and what you were trying to achieve in, in Singapore?
2: Definitely. So actually, we were working on a brand new technology. So again, in the IoT uh, Internet of Things area, um, as I mentioned, Asia core business is um, is emission system, um, but this project uh, that we win with the. City of Singapore uh, was to actually monitor emission of vehicle real time uh, within Singapore. So we participated to uh, an innovation um, call uh, in which we produced actually couple of uh, let's say spec specification of what the solution could look like. And after the project was awarded, we had to uh, deliver uh, the entire IoT framework, meaning a system. Which we install in different vehicles to measure the emission of the of the vehicle. Um, and uh, the connectivity to get the data out of the system directly to a cloud platform and a platform itself to access the data uh, on, a, on a web-based and a mobile application. So the entire project was one and then we start calling for help. <laughs> To, to start the, the project.
0: Okay, and when you say uh, monitoring vehicles, what types of vehicles were you looking to monitor?
2: So here we are talking mostly about uh, commercial vehicles. So actually it means uh, uh, either, for example, logistic vehicles or mini trucks, uh, what we call medium uh, light duty and medium duty vehicles, uh, but also heavy duty vehicles like, uh, like heavy trucks. Uh, all uh, buses. So we also monitored, for example, different buses in Singapore. Uh, all of these vehicles, of course, are traditional, so with, uh, with internal combustion engine.
0: Okay. And how many vehicles altogether? You know how many vehicles uh, uh, are being monitored? Yes. Yeah, so the,
2: this project was uh, really a first of a kind for Foresia, and it was a, a proof of concept for the city uh our customer here was the the city directly the government of Singapore because the the environment agency of uh, of uh, of Singapore wanted to monitor the emission of different vehicles to to build a report so the volume was not that high. Actually, we started uh, the, the target for the phase one was five vehicles, and we delivered seven. So we actually overachieved. And then came the COVID, so we didn't have time to expand. But we had a, a, an expansion plan of 20 to 25 vehicles uh, in the in the year 2020 that didn't happen. But it was a, it was a small fleet, uh, nonetheless. After this project, we were able to win other projects, which uh, which increased a lot the the pool of vehicles we connected.
0: So I'd like to go step by step through the phases of the project. So you got the contract with Singapore, and you had to deliver in a fairly short timeframe. How did the initial consultation process with Cap Gemini come about?
2: So when the project was awarded, uh, actually it was somehow the same date I joined Forestia and as a program manager for uh, at least to 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 deliver this project. Um, so the the program was awarded, we had the first meeting, like a kickoff uh, with Singapore to explain a little bit what was the solution we are going to deploy and after we divided the project or the, the solution we wanted to develop into different categories, um, the first category was uh, was the hardware itself, so basically the sensors, control unit uh, and telematic. and for this one actually we had the resources internally to develop. Uh, between France and US and China so we managed to do it by ourselves uh, reusing bricks and pieces of technology we had for different projects but the the place I would say which was a complete greenfield was the development of digital application. So meaning the setup of a cloud platform, development of application on top of it and the ingestion, uh, the data ingestion from Telematic. Uh, this was a complete greenfield. So on this one, actually, we, we did an audit. Uh, first of all, internally, uh, it's the, the policy, at least, uh, if you, first you have to check if you can do it yourself. Uh, so we checked internally and we had no specific team uh, able to deliver this kind of, uh, this kind of solution, at least for this kind of project. Uh, so we, we went uh, hunting, uh, if I could say like this, to different partners. Uh, we did, as I said earlier, a benchmark, uh, checking different companies and then, uh, and then we ended up uh, working closely with, uh, with Camp Gemini.
0: I'd like to get into the technology uh, a little bit. Can you tell me more about how IoT came into use? So for the, the, the solution we developed for, uh, for the
2: Singapore project, um, as I mentioned, uh, we are talking about um, emission monitoring, but uh, real-time emission monitoring. So if you compare to what technologies available today, to monitor emission, uh, basically you use uh, we call it the PEMS portable emission monitoring system, which is the size of the trailer that you attach to a vehicle, um, which can be run for one or two hours, uh, and that's it. So this kind of technology doesn't require IoT, uh, but when you switch to real-time emission uh, monitoring, then here uh, especially for fleet of vehicles that you cannot stop to remove a SD card and read the data on your laptop. Then here comes the IoT part of the solution. So we developed a system with sensors that we position in the vehicle, but the target was to not impact the the fleet itself. So that's basically that to monitor and read the results, uh, the emission profile while the vehicle is operating. And here there is no other solution than broadcasting the data uh, outside of the vehicle onto a cloud in a real-time fashion, and then to collect this data and analyze them almost as they come. So that's the, I would say, that was the only solution that we could apply to to this kind
0: of projects. Sounds good so far, but as always with projects like this, there are hurdles that needed to be overcome. I wanted to know how Michael and his team got over the barriers that appeared while working within the structure of a partnership. In this example, managing data was an obvious hurdle—a sensitive area which always throws up potential complications. You mentioned data. I'd like to get more into the implications that data collection represents. So there are obviously some some challenges ar- around how do you collect the data from a, a technical point of view. Uh, but what about any other? challenges uh, or concerns around data collection. And I'm thinking here about things like legal aspects.
2: Yes, uh, definitely. Uh, in most of the project regarding data, you have to face data privacy issue or data agreement uh, or to, to share those data, to use those data. Uh, here, I would say the, the, it was a bit particular in Singapore uh, because the project itself was driven by the government. So actually the government was running the show uh, and when we brought partners uh, f- especially vehicles uh, companies like DHL or uh, SBST in the transportation company uh, the government helped us uh, to get agreements so all the data that we collect as a kind of uh, shared ownership uh, between uh, the city the owner of the data which is the fleet and us and here, the government help us a lot to avoid uh, any legal issue or privacy issue uh, based on the data. Of course, this being said, we have to respect the laws of Singapore, uh, which is the the privacy data agreement. Uh, and that's why we had to set up a complete infrastructure as well. Uh, I mean, in here, cloud and, and telecom in Singapore directly.
0: Okay. And, and what aspects of I- implementing... Uh, the solution, either technical or or legal. What sat with uh, Foresia and what sat with Capgemini?
2: When we everything around data uh, that we collected uh, has to be stored on infrastructure that has to be set up in Singapore. Uh, This being said, actually, it means that we had to integrate uh, an architecture in Singapore. And um, just to to put this into picture, Foresia has no uh, entity offices, IT, whatever, in Singapore. So we had to pilot entirely this project remotely from China, actually, mainly. Uh, and here comes also the fact that we we worked a lot um, based off cloud technology uh, on remote location and uh, mostly piloted by uh, by Capgemini. So on, on this topic, we we were uh, highly supported by. Uh, by the team of, uh, of Capgemini to, uh, to, to create uh, services from our cloud in Singapore, uh, operate those services, set up the entire architecture of the solution uh, to collect uh, this data upfront, I would say, so from the vehicles and then uh, build a, the, the solution based on our specification.
0: Okay, so you've got the solution defined, you've considered the data aspects and the, and, and, the, and the technical aspects of it. In order to get to the finish line in such a short time, were there any bumps? I don't know any
2: project that goes smoothly, uh, or it's not a real project. Um, so yeah, there was a, a lot of bump line, of course, um, bumps on the road. Um, I, I would say, uh, to be quite uh, honest and transparent, that the digital part uh, was almost the only part uh, that went completely smoothly in this project. Uh, meaning we, we worked with Capgemini, we developed the specification for the platform and we delivered the platform. So that went pretty smoothly, uh, very smoothly actually and uh, and on time. Uh, after the bumps, uh, the highest we had was uh, actually was, uh, it, it looks stupid when said like this, but the, the highest issue we had was logistic. Um, because we ordered components from multiple countries, uh, France, US, harness uh, from China, etc. Telematics from, uh, from north of Europe. And, uh, and uh, what we wanted to do is build a system in China then bring everything to Singapore. Uh, But of course, the whole component system into one package was seized by the Chinese authorities. And um, it took us three months to to free our goods. So during these three months, actually, we were planning to test the solution with data. So to enable, to allow Calvary Mini to validate what they have developed. And actually, uh, it took three months to unlock the part. So during these three months, actually, we were kind of stuck. Uh, And then actually we we got the part, but as soon as we got the part, we were already at the time, we had to equip the vehicle. So we finished the project almost directly on the vehicle. We installed and fixed everything directly when we were equipping the vehicle. And uh, all the the validation of the platform, uh, for example, the data cleaning aspect, the data reception, uh, the formatting and so forth, was directly with live stream of data from vehicles rather than uh, than testing. So uh, we had a couple of major bumps uh, that we have to catch up, especially after the the vehicles were installed. Uh, So we we somehow in this project skipped or integrated the testing phase into the rolling phase. So it was uh, uh, a bit, uh, uh, I would say, or very agile to speak that, that terms.
0: Okay, so the testing phase was integrated into the actual launch when the solution went live.
2: Exactly, exactly.
0: Okay, and uh, I imagine that presented some unique challenges. If some of the tests came back and something needed to be adjusted, how how did you manage situations like that?
2: Uh, we, we had um, a very strong support from Capgemini on this topic. But just to give you an example, for instance, when you collect the data uh, and you figure out something is wrong with the data, so I take a simple example. But uh, uh, let's say you you get two data, but you see those two data are merged uh, when they're, uh, I would say, integrated within the platform. So first of all, you need to detect the issue. Then you need to find out how to fix the issue. But uh, at some point of time, when you figure out the fix uh, for such kind of issue then you not only have to apply it but you have to apply on all the data you already have received but you are also continuing to receive so it's like uh, all the time trying to catch a train which is already rolling so we have a lot of uh, let's say fix that we not only have to deploy on what was coming deploy for what uh, will come so making sure that uh, the rest is working but also has to clean up everything that we received before because at some point of time uh, I would say the delivery we had to give to, the, to, to our customer and to the, the city of Singapore was based on one year of data uh, fully, I would say, uh, uh, stable. So the, the three months of, uh, of testing that we skip because of logistic issue, uh, all the data that we received during the first three, four months, uh, we have to come back on it, clean it all the time, and we have to repeat processes uh, quite often uh, to make sure we had, uh, I would say, a complete uh, clean set of data for the, for the project. So all of this is kind of bumps, but uh, when when you when you are in front of the water pipe and the water is already uh, going in, then you have uh, you, you have to deal with uh, with everything along the pipe.
0: And what were the outcomes of the project? The outcome was uh, very good, actually. So
2: as I said, we delivered actually more vehicles than we were supposed to. So we we equipped seven out of uh, five vehicles. Uh, we validated the system. So the the target of Singapore was. Uh, uh, in one hand, also to detect uh, kind of um, uh, misbehavior in the sense that, for example, the emissions are too high compared to what they're supposed to do, or, or sometimes the, the system is not maintained properly and whatsoever so This was um, this was delivered successfully. The customer also were able to access the platform, so we had uh, Singapore accessing the platform, reviewing the profile of the vehicles and so forth. Uh, We had the two uh, vehicle providers, so SBST and uh, and DHL, accessing also the platform uh, and asking us actually to kind of uh, tailor the platform for their own use. So we had uh, a lot of discussion around uh, how to derive this platform for their own fleet monitoring activities. That was pretty good output. Um, And last but not least, actually, with all the data we have collected, uh, we're able to work with with, uh, research entities in Singapore, uh, to build also models uh, out of this data, so this was also a requirement from the from the government. We had to work with a specific, uh, I would say, governmental research entities to build uh, to build kind of predictive or I would say intelligent model uh, out of the data that we that we collected. And all of this was realized in one year. So the project itself, the delivery and and the development was uh, was a success.
0: Now, you mentioned that this project, small scale in terms of uh, the number of vehicles, but it was a proof of concept. So after you've delivered the proof of concept successfully, how do you scale that up? How do you introduce it into other geographies?
2: So we had uh, actually at the end of the project, uh, the, the timing was pretty good. Uh, but we had the chance to participate to a couple of events uh, in which, from a marketing standpoint, we, we showcase what we delivered to Singapore. So we built a small mock-up of, uh, of our system uh, in 3D print, and we 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 had uh, also the support of Capgemini to build, uh, let's say, a demo version of our platform uh, to be able to showcase the project without showing sensitive data. So basically a, a demo mode of, of our platform and we participated both uh, at different events um, one was the ITS uh, so the kind of city technology summit uh, in Singapore uh, and then the next one was the, the CES uh, in uh, in Las Vegas uh, in early 2020 before Covid pops, pops up um, and at those both events uh, each time when we introduced the solution to different people who are interested in what we were doing uh, we were able to collect multiple, uh, I would say, interested parties that wanted to collaborate with us on this project. So we had uh, companies from France uh, or from Europe actually interested in, in working with us on this kind of topic. Uh, we had companies from US as well uh, during the, the CES coming to us and very interested in this, in this kind of technology. Uh, all because um, it's not only a pure IoT solution that we developed, but this is really oriented on, uh, on sustainability. So we, we talk a lot about uh, electric vehicles, zero emission technology, which is, of course, the solution. But what we did uh, with Singapore is, uh, is a solution that is applicable on, on vehicles today that are on the streets. So many fleet providers or research entities wanted to, to work with us on this topic.
0: OK. And are you looking to roll out the solution in different locations as well?
2: So we, we started uh, when something happened called uh, COVID, uh, yeah. which prevented a little bit the deployment for fleet because all the fleet now are in the garage and sleeping mostly. So uh, we were really impacted by, by COVID at that time. Um, so we, we diversified actually our portfolio uh, from, I would say, vehicle emission monitoring to industrial uh, application monitoring. So actually, we are working mostly on industrial right now. Um, so we leverage the experience and the platform we just uh, derive from uh, from different installations: so uh, rail, marine, and uh, and power plants uh, or greenhouse actually. So we, we derive. And uh, since beginning of this year, now we are uh, uh, our technology. So we before we were focusing on what we call pollutants, so NOx. Emission and particulate emission, and now we are deriving our technology to to read CO2 emission from vehicles and particularly out of fuel consumption. And we have uh, we found many customers interested by this solution as well. Uh, and we are developing or deriving our solution towards this uh, this direction. And here the volume, uh, I would say, we have a first uh, prototype and proof of concept that we should deliver before uh, end of October this year. Uh, but technically speaking, we have already fleets of more than uh, six to 10,000 vehicles uh, that we could equip if this goes well, so it's, uh, we will go into a uh, large deployment very soon.
0: It's plain to see that this partnership between Farisha and Capgemini was a real success, with the targets and objectives of both teams being completed effectively and quickly. Michael and Farisha's work with Capgemini went beyond this one case study. It was about more than delivering on one project. It was about supporting the long-term strategic development goals. That's what made it ultimately so effective. But now, let's draw things out again to look at the big picture. When it comes to partnerships in general, where are we going? What trends are emerging? How do we prepare for the future? And importantly, how can companies work together to face the uncertainties on the horizon? I went back to Brad Young to
1: find out. So one of the trends we see around commercial vehicle manufacturers in relation to um, software development is that as software becomes an increasingly critical part of the whole um, automotive world uh, there's a real shortage of skills so OEMs are all making changes to establish new software organisations putting greater emphasis on um, in-house development of software but also um, stronger partnering strategies But this means they need to build a a culture of uh, uh, more of a software and agile um, driven uh, approach to how they deliver their products, Um, but also bring in the right skills um, from the marketplace to be able to build the teams. And there's a real struggle Uh, and a real shortage of those skills. So this is where partnering with firms that can bring in uh, software development, um, data and analytics skills uh, in a partnership, um, a longer-term partnership can really benefit those OEMs. And we're seeing now increasingly um, more demand for those types of partnerships. And I think that's a a trend that's going to really run into the future as well.
0: What about upskilling workers in-house to do some of those things. Is this something that OEM should be looking at long-term?
1: Yeah, so one of my experiences working in OEM was uh, we were uh, establishing a new department, a new analytics department. Um, And uh, at the time, we found it very difficult to actually get the right skills um, uh, internally. So we realized that, yes, of course, we we could partner externally to bring in the skills, but we also needed to bring up the level of expertise and skills of the in-house team. Uh, and so there was a real need for training um, and um, let's say both technical training, but also uh, really changing the mindset of the team to become more agile in their approach, more agile in their actual delivery of projects, as well as understanding, uh, for example, uh, more about machine learning, uh, AI, and uh, advanced analytics concepts because that was not something that they had typically done. Um, the team had um, mostly come from a background of um, uh, data analysis and reporting but were not necessarily uh, able to then uh, understand how to structure um, uh, more advanced analytics projects. And I think that's a key trend that I've seen as well in other companies. So, of course, um, uh, partnering is always going to be a, a good option, but you want to be able to have a level of understanding and skill in-house so that you can uh, be a smart buyer of, of those services.
0: Any trends in the commercial vehicles space that uh, have happened as a, as a result of the pandemic?
1: So, of course, while we're all still working at home, um, there's been a huge surge in home deliveries for example Um, everyone's buying everything online these days that means there's in turn been a huge surge in the demand for delivery vehicles um, and delivery services um, particularly last mile delivery into cities that means that also um, those those commercial fleets are um, under increasing pressure to expand and to become more efficient as well as now the uh, let's say the overarching um, drive towards electric vehicles that we've, we've talked about. Um, this really means that um, there's been, uh, let's say, a whole new uh, level of focus on um, the importance of switching commercial fleets to electric and driving more efficiencies using the connected data. Now, that was there before. Arguably, the pandemic has now uh, accelerated that through the acceleration and the need for home delivery services and the huge surge in e-commerce.
0: Whether it's skilling up workers or adapting to the changing market induced by COVID, ensuring that your best place to form partnerships with other companies to boost your own innovation is never far from the picture. And as the world moves towards more sustainable practices and the growth of the burgeoning e-mobility sector continues apace, this is only gonna become more important. Having a little help from specialists outside your own field of vision is inevitably the best way to ensure this transition goes smoothly. That's all for today. Thanks so much for both Michael and Brad for sharing those incredible insights and examples on partnering within the automotive sector. And thanks to you for listening to Driving the Future from Capgemini Invent. After the break for the holidays, we'll be back with another trio of episodes on the automotive sector. This time, looking at a new omnichannel sales model, which is changing the way in which automotive companies approach sales. We'll see you then.